So today we are continuing a series that began several weeks ago entitled Becoming Who You Are. And the phrases that you just heard in that video are contained in this New Testament letter called Ephesians. And what we're discovering from the beginning of this is that Paul writes to some people that he cares about. He was involved in starting one of these that we're a part of right now called the church in a city called Ephesus. And they're going through a hard time and he writes them a letter and he begins by talking about a whole bunch of different ways that there is the opportunity to grasp the reality of what it means to belong to God. This is true of you in a relationship with God. And then he talked about how we get there. It is by grace you have been saved, not of work so that nobody can boast. And then he turns the corner and he begins to talk about, so what does it mean to live on the other side of that? How do we apply that? How do we make that real? And so today we come to a portion that's going to talk about something that sounds a little bit conceptual at the front, but we're going to unpack this together, the power of awe. Let me begin this way by reading to you an account from somebody who was present at this event. This is Apollo 17, the last of the Apollo moon missions, and this was in the early 1970s, and his name was Joseph Needleman, and he is one of the reporters who was there to cover this, and here's what he writes. I was an observer at the launch of Apollo 17, hundreds of cynical reporters all over the lawn, drinking beer, wisecracking, waiting for the 35-story rocket. The countdown came, and then the launch. And the first thing that you see is this extraordinary white light, which is just at the limit of what you can bear to look at. Everything is illuminated with the light. Then comes this thing slowly rising up in total silence at first, because it takes a few seconds for the sound to come across. And then you hear it, whoosh, it goes right into you. You can practically hear jaws dropping. The sense of wonder fills everyone in the place as this thing goes up and up and it becomes like a star, but you realize there are humans on it. And then there's total silence. And people just get up quietly, helping each other. They're kind. They open doors. They look at one another, speaking quietly and interestedly. These were suddenly moral people because of the sense of wonder. The experience of wonder had made them moral. Here's why we talk about that experience. Because in the next section of this letter that the Apostle Paul writes... He's going to pray a prayer over them and for them, and it is a prayer that has that same sort of context, that there would be an encounter, that there would be an experience, that there would be a reality in the lives of the people that matter so much to him that has the power to transform them. Now let's remember the context of where Paul is writing from. He's in a Roman prison cell, and he's been there for five years. And if you were in a prison cell and you're writing to people that you care about and you know that they're going through a difficult time, in fact, that's one of the reasons why you even wrote this letter in the first place, what would you pray for them? 
And here's, you know, my initial reaction most of the time is to say, well, I'm just going to pray, you know, that things would go better for them, that things would get easier for them, that the people who oppose them, that are excluding them, that are trash-talking them, that they would just stop it and that God would work in their hearts and make it an easier experience. And what's so surprising about his prayer is that that's not what Paul prays for. Instead, he prays for something that he knows that if they have this, they can endure and make their way through anything that comes, regardless of the circumstance. So what does Paul pray for them? He prays for a spiritual encounter that transforms, that leaves people different on the other side of it. He doesn't pray for better circumstances. He prays for this. And if I look at that, I go, well, that's great. What is that? And so let's make our way through Paul's prayer and unpack this one piece at a time and then ultimately put it back together again. So Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Let me tell you just something about prayer 2,000 years ago. It was not customary to bow for prayer. It was customary to stand as a sign of reverence. To bow communicates a level of deep emotion and also surrender and seriousness before God. And so what Paul is communicating to them is, look, this is something that comes from the depths of my heart and something that I deeply desire for you. Okay, Paul, what are you talking about? Look at what he goes on to say. I bow before God from whom every family on earth and heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Where? In your inner being. So Paul's praying for some work of God in the hearts of the people that he cares so much about. And again, we wonder, well, that's great. And again, this is pretty conceptual. Paul, what are you talking about? And we'll unpack this in just a moment. But it's important for us to realize that what Paul begins to pray for these people is that there would be something that happens inside. We would call it our hearts. He calls it inner being. But it is a reality that is beyond our heads and beyond our belief. It includes that. But he's talking about truth that not only makes its way into us, but now gets lived out through us. And so the first thing that we need to know about his prayers, he's talking about experiencing God's reality. And experiencing it in a way that goes beyond simply knowing it. Okay, Paul, so what does that mean? And he's gonna unpack it for us as we go along here. So that, and here's the result, if that happens, then Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, what's interesting about that is that Paul is writing to followers of Jesus. These are people who have placed their hope and trust in Jesus. And in chapter 2 of Ephesians, the same letter, he even said, Christ dwells in you. So if Jesus already dwells in people who have taken that step of faith and trust, why are you encouraging them to take this step that Jesus would dwell in your hearts through faith? Don't they already have that? But what Paul is talking about is we can have it in one sense but there can be a deeper and more personal and more real sense as well. It is possible, spiritually speaking, to believe things about God, but live an entirely different way. 
where the reality of who God is and what he has called us to be is not what is experienced. And it could be a disconnect. It could be something as serious as some hypocrisy. But then what Paul is talking about here is the difference between what we know to be true and what has become reality in our day-to-day experience. Let me give you a couple uh, illustrations to hopefully make this a little bit more alive for us. Let's say that a relative of yours a number of years ago passed away and in the will, they left you a lot of money. Now, I'm not talking about the email scam of somebody that you never heard of who was a king of some country who died and left you a lot of money and all you have to do is send your banking information to them and all is going to be great. That's a scam. Let's talk about something that really is true. It has your name on it. Legally, it's yours. But meanwhile, you're living virtually homeless. You're living poor even though in reality you are rich. You're not drawing on what is yours. And that is what Paul is trying to get people to grasp here. That what you have put your faith and trust in, don't let it stay there, but instead connect that to the realities of your experience so that it becomes alive and becomes a part of who you are. That it's not just truth that has come to me, but now gets fleshed out in real life. Another way maybe of, you know, showing this, uh, these pictures here on the left is a hotel room and on the right is a living room. And we know, right, you can live in both those places, but it's not the same experience. Nobody has ever checked into a hotel room, looks at the walls and go, you know, I should run down to Home Depot because an accent wall here would look really good. Or, you know, I have a better idea about the curtains and the pictures on the wall. You know, they're nice, but they're, you know, they're not really personal. But over here, this is lived in, right? The pictures on the wall are about people that you care about. And the experience there is something that you own. And Paul is saying, let's not live our faith like we're living in a hotel room where somebody else comes and does those things. This is taking ownership. And the idea that Paul is sharing that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith is the idea that he would be really, really, really at home, meaning this, that Jesus would be just as real to us as other people with whom we have a relationship. So it's not just knowing something. It's being with someone. And that's why we say savor Jesus' presence. Savor is not a thinking word. It's a tasting word. It's a word that maybe if you have a pellet grill, you put some juicy steaks on there. If you're a vegan, you can dream about Brussels sprouts all day. Okay, I'm dreaming about steak. And savor is one of those words that goes beyond knowing it's an experience word. And there are plenty of places in the Bible that tell us to believe in God. That's really good. There are other places that tell us to do this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And so what that means in day by day, if Jesus is just as real to me as other people in my life, think about a moment where somebody trashes me, you know, dislikes me, talks about me. As true as that might be, there's an opinion of Jesus that is very real and even transcends that and has the power to transform that experience in ways that do not happen without that there.
or the circumstances in my life take a negative turn. And it's real easy to think, well, the trajectory of that is really negative. But there's a reality in a journey with Jesus who has said that if it has not ended in joy, it has not ended yet. And so I continue on because ultimately he will have the final say. So Paul is saying, don't just know that as a principle, as a concept, but you can experience that in real life so that Jesus might be just as real to you as anyone else. And then he goes on, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And he's going to talk about Jesus' love. The word comprehend there is a really difficult one. It's posed a lot of problems for translators over the years. Um, Some other translations will say grasp. Um, Others will say gain hold of. And what's interesting about that word is it's a wrestling word. And it would be the same word that you would use if you were going to overpower somebody or it was even used 2,000 years ago in the context of an army overpowering a city and taking control of it. This is not a believing word. This is a doing and experiencing kind of word. And so what Paul's talking about here is that there's an opportunity for us to wrestle with some stuff. Now, who are we wrestling with? And we might think, well, naturally, you know, wrestling with God. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about wrestling with himself. He's talking about wrestling in the same way that the writer of some of the Psalms starts this way. Why are you downcast, O my soul? In light of the reality about who God is, why are you here? And he's taking us in the direction of wrestling with some of the truths about God and what it means to belong to him and wrestle those things into our hearts and souls. And it's so easy sometimes to just read past some things like God loves you. Well, that's awesome. Yep, that's true. But have you put dimension around it? Height and depth and length and breadth. And this is kind of 4D faith here. Not just one-dimensional stuff that we might know. This has some depth to it. Some of you um, may need to kind of believe me on this next illustration I'm going to use, but I think it helps us understand what Paul's talking about here with wrestling, with comprehending. Not that long ago, if you wanted to take a picture, you needed something called film in a camera. And film, you put inside the camera, and it was treated with a certain chemical. And so when the shutter opened and closed really fast, the image that was there would not only get exposed to the film, but it would stick. If that chemical wasn't there, it would just, the shutter would open, the light would come in, and then it would be gone, and there would be nothing. And what Paul is talking about here is wrestling down, getting it sticky so that the truths are made real in ways that get fleshed out in somebody's life. And there's some stuff we got to wrestle to the ground and it might take some time so that we can understand the breadth and the length and the height and the depth for what? To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And we say, well, what, what is that about? the height and the depth, the breadth and the length. Let me give you a couple things maybe to comprehend. It's one thing to say that God loves you, and that's true. But how do we add dimension to that? How wide is God's love? 
It's wide enough to cover everyone and anyone. In the book of Isaiah, it says, though your sins be as red as scarlet, they shall be made as white as snow. And the image there of red as scarlet is somebody who has murdered someone. And that's not saying everything is good and everything is okay. What it's saying is that anything can be forgiven. And that in a relationship with God, people can be made right with God. And if you've ever put yourself off limits of the grace of God, let me just tell you, you are wonderfully wrong. Because God's love, Jesus' love, is wide enough to cover anyone. How long is his love? And we might say, well, you know, as long as I'm here, as long as I walk with him. Here's what Jesus said one day when he was here in this world. I know my sheep. I know those who belong to me. And no one will be able to snatch them from my hand. That with him you are safe. And not just here and now, but for all of eternity. And he has promised that one day the work that he began in you, when you put your faith and trust in him, one day he will bring it to completion. How long is the love of God? Eternally long. How high is the love of God? It is high enough to cross any barrier. One day, the distance that exists between who God is and who we are right now will be eliminated. We will be in his presence. And guess what? He is going to give us the joy that infinitely fills his heart because we said one day we will be like him for we will be with him. It doesn't mean we become a God. It means we will be with him in his presence and all that fills him with joy will be the possession of everyone who is there. That's how high God's love is. How deep is it? Deep enough to touch any need? It was deep enough to lead Jesus to leave heaven and come down to this broken world of ours and to experience everything we do, all the temptations, all the brokenness, all the opposition, all the hatred, all the questions, all of it. But I'll tell you, it goes even deeper. We're told that on a cross, when Jesus died for us, he made payment for our sins. Do you know what that means? That he paid what you and I rightfully deserve in hell forever. That's how deep his love will go. So when we hear that God loves you, that Jesus loves you, that's true. There's an opportunity for us to bring dimension to that, to make that faith 4D. And I'm telling you, those kind of things will not ever run out of amazement through all of eternity. And Paul says, man, I pray that you would bring this kind of dimension to your faith in Jesus. But without Jesus, this is all a concept, but he made it real. And then Paul goes on, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And now we get to the transformation because that phrase, the fullness of God, has this idea that it would now be lived out. We don't only understand truth that only, hasn't only become personal, but now it is being lived out. God works it in, we live it out. And there's the opportunity to experience not just more of myself, but the fullness of God in a relationship with him. This is a new kind of life. And what this means for us is that when it comes to God and it comes to faith, we don't have to choose between thinking and feeling. We don't have to choose between theology and experience. God is the God of all of us. 
and all of who we are. And that when we make real the things that we know to be true and they become a part of the lives that we live, we are different people on the other side of that. But where does that come from? The sense of awe and wonder in the love of God. And finally, we need to shift our focus to God's power. And Paul's going to wrap up his prayer with this incredible benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Did you know that the God who can do anything is at work within you? And that there's an opportunity for us to cooperate with his work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. It's not about me. It's about him, but it includes me and includes you forever and ever. Amen. And that's what Paul writes to people. I pray that you would grasp this, that you comprehend, that you would add this dimension to your faith, that the things that you know to be true intellectually would become ex true experientially. Because no matter what you face, you can endure. Now, I would have a natural question that I might ask Paul, well, okay, how do you do this? And let me share with you three things that I think are implied here and are made clear in a lot of different places but just from what we read, let me give you a couple ideas. How do you do this? One is spiritual engagement, right? I bow on my knees before God. I go to God. I'm seeking. I'm seeking, you know, God's will, God's knowledge, God's presence, but going to God. So let me ask you, do you engage God on a regular basis? And I know we're here, here today and now, but how about tomorrow morning? or Wednesday night, or wherever it might be. There's an opportunity for us to engage God and pray to Him. And if you've never entertained the idea, I might recommend this. Start a reading plan. There are so many of them that are out there. And just spend a couple minutes reading. And then spend a couple minutes thinking about what you read and wrestling what you read to the ground. And then pray to God. And when you pray, don't begin by praying the list. You know what I mean, right? And I've used this before, but you know what it's like to pray like a Spice Girl? I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want, right? It's so easy for us to do that, and there's a time and a place for that. But what if we just began, God, would you become a bright, shining reality to me today? Let's begin with him and what it is that we encountered there in that place. But Paul is saying, I want to engage God on a regular basis. Personal obedience. When he talks about bowing on his knees before God, remember, it's an act of surrender. And the word father has a sense of intimacy about it, but let me tell you, it also has a sense of authority about it. That God is the one who gives us direction. God makes the call. And so there's a sense in which we are called to go in God's direction. And part of what this means as a spiritual dynamic is if we're longing for the fullness of God, that's a good longing. But for us to pray that and desire that, but meanwhile, on the other side of my life, I am willfully doing things that I know are outside of God's plan for me. It just doesn't work that way. But this is not about perfection. 
but it is about the direction in which our life is going. And just as an example, if you're married and you want intimacy with your spouse, will you have that when you're flirting with somebody else over here? And the answer is no. And so there's an opportunity for us to follow God in obedience, not perfection, but obedience to which he's called us. And then also, it's found in community. He prays that they would together, we didn't spend a lot of time on this, together with all the saints might be able to grasp how high and wide and deep and long is the love of God. It's not just an individual experience. It's an all-swim experience. It is a community experience. And there are things that we can experience together that we cannot experience alone. And so if we're looking for an incredible, transformative encounter with God and awe that transforms us and leaves us as changed people on the other side of that, that was Paul's prayer. And I think a prayer not just for them, but also for people like us. So what was Paul praying that day? God help them to experience your love. It's one thing to know, but when that becomes reality and gets lived out day by day, there is something transformative there that allows Jesus to be as real as anyone else that we know. And when that becomes real, we can face anything in this life. Would you bow your heads together with me as I pray? Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. And thank you for the opportunity of what it means to be in a relationship with you. And God, help our belief not just to reside in our minds on paper in one dimension, but God, help it to gain depth and height and breadth and length. Help us to wrestle the truths about who you are and all that you have accomplished for us. Help us to wrestle them into reality in our life. And God, help us to know that's not just an overnight thing. That's just a journey, a day-by-day -day thing where we get to meet together with the God who has loved us like no other. And so God, work in our hearts and lives in ways that leave us transformed on the other side of it because we have met with the living God, the holy God, the one true God. And thank you for your great love for us. May we never take that for granted. May we never boil it down to one dimension alone. May it have depth in our lives. We ask and pray in Jesus' name, amen.